0: So, hey, thanks for coming, everyone. Um, today's speaker is uh, Gabriella Coleman. And those of you that follow Boing Boing uh, probably noticed yesterday that there was an interview with her, a podcast, uh, a link to a podcast with Thomas Gideon on online activism. And that's the core of a lot of, of Gabriella's uh, recent work. She's trained as an anthropologist, and she examines the ethics of online collaboration. Uh, as well as the role of law and digital media in sustaining various forms of political activism. Between 2001 and 2003, she conducted ethnographic research on computer hackers, primarily in San Francisco and the Netherlands, as well as those hackers who worked on the largest free software project, Debian. She is currently completing a book manuscript, in fact, completed the manuscript a week ago, huh? first round, um, entitled Coding Freedom. Hacker Pleasure and the Ethics of Free and Open Source Software. And Princeton is its under contract with Princeton uh, University Press. Dr. Coleman received her PhD in Sociocultural Anthropology from the University of Chicago, where she wrote her dissertation on The Social Construction of Freedom in Free and Open Source Software, Hackers, Ethics, and the Liberal Tradition. She's uh, currently an assistant professor in the Department of Media, Culture, and Communication at NYU, and uh, at the moment, a scholar at the uh, School of Social Science of, uh, at the Institute for Advanced Studies in Princeton. Title of her paper is on the screen, so without further ado. Okay.
1: Thank you for that um, introduction, and thank you for coming to my talk today. Um, I'm excited to give it because I'm actually starting to uh, write some of this material up. Alright, so today I'm going to talk largely about a geeky protest movement against the Church of Scientology led by Anonymous, but I'm going to start with a more recent manifestation of Anonymous. And by the end, I hope to open the aperture a little bit to give a broader picture of what I mean by geek and hacker politics. I am um, also should start with a, little, with a few disclaimers. Uh, to, do, to talk about Anonymous is to talk about internet trolling. And trolls like to be offensive, so there'll be some foul language. So all foul uh, lang- you know, words and images are not, are not my own. Um, second is that I'll be talking about hackers and geeks. And very briefly, I consider a hacker a kind of computer aficionado uh, committed to some ethical version of information freedom. But I'll complicate this a little bit at the end. By geek, it's a little bit harder to define. But geeks, uh, in the way I'm using it, don't quite have the same technological skills as hackers, but do have significant media literacies and do have some similar sort of ethical commitments to hackers. And again, I will revisit geek later on. Okay, so in December of 2010, Anonymous became a household name in many parts of North America and Europe after receiving significant media attention. Media coverage focused on a wave of protests, many of them distributed of denials of service attacks launched in support of WikiLeaks, who had just posted a small trove of leaked diplomatic cables. So during the height of their operations, anonymous crippled um, websites of a handful of corporations who had pulled services for WikiLeaks, most famously PayPal and MasterCard. They released a string of protest videos and a dozen of savvy political images. Uh, here's a couple of them. They initiated a citizen journalism project to circulate and comment on leaked diplomatic cables called Operation Leakspin, and catalyzed a public debate about the ethics of denial of service attacks. Are they a legitimate form of civil dissent, or are they a cowardly juvenile form of internet thuggery, is basically the, the core of the debate. So despite its sort of coverage, despite um, the fact that Anonymous had already coordinated global protests, commentators still struggle to describe its ethics, its sociology, and history using traditional analytical categories. This difficulty follows from the fact that Anonymous, like its name suggests, is shrouded in some degree of mystery and obscurity. It also purports to have no leaders, no rigid group structure, nor any geographical center. Indeed, it is a name that any individual or group can in theory call into being, and thus allows for (laughs) parallel, but possibly unconnected actions. For instance, those coordinating the denial of service attacks were not exactly the same people um, who were writing the manifestos, and here is one against MasterCard, and this is them actually coordinating or collaborating on PiratePad to write this manifesto. And not the same people who are launching blogs and news sites focus on reporting anonymous. The current wave of protest was, for the most part, unconnected to anonymous currently protesting the Church of Scientology. So, in this capacity, anonymous functions as what Marco Sirius in a recent dissertation on Captain Ludd and Luther Blissett, terms an improper name or a multiple use name, which he defines as the following the adoption of some alias by organized collectives, affinity groups, and individual authors. And so, for example, this is Luther Blissett, which was created by a bunch of Italian um, activists in the 1990s to call into being uh, many actions, and many activists all over Europe would use the name and the image of Luther Blissett. And then, uh, historically, Captain Ludd, or Ned Ludd, was also an image and a name that various Luddite groups throughout England would use to also call into being a certain set of manifestos and actions. So in this capacity, Anonymous uh, is not entirely new, but obviously the digital tactics, as well as its global reach and scale, does make it of the contemporary moment. If Anonymous in certain respects is hard to pin down, is rhizomatic in certain regards, it does have identifiable boundaries, norms, traditions, aesthetics, and ethics that do shape although don't simplistically determine its its manifestations. Like many other forms of geek activism, Anonymous, as I will show, is partly rooted in liberal vocabularies and imaginaries. For instance, appearing primarily to protest internet censorship or defend um, freedom of expression, and not, for example, to protest the massive cuts in funding in UK universities. Participants often conceptualize anonymity. Anonymity as necessary for free expression, which is a common thread in liberal philosophy. Some participants, although not all, also register um, these liberal commitments in conversation. I'm gonna show a snippet later, but also in their art. So take, uh, for example, this which I think um, does exactly that. And the part that's highlighted in red, which you can't really read there, says that whenever a form of government becomes destructive of of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. If Anonymous is driven in part by liberal commitments, their protest arsenal, as we see with this image as well, is grounded in a more dramatic set of tactics than traditionally associated with liberalism. Their repertoire includes a rich set of visual material, which you've started to see, videos, images, manifestos, with a consistent aesthetic logic, most famously a mass figure or a headless suited man. Indeed, its success in securing media attentions follows from the spectacle that Anonymous is able to consistently broadcast via this material. But what's most significant and remarkable to the story of Anonymous, the protest movement, is that emerged largely by accident and in the context of what Martha Nussbaum in a recent edited collection has described as the offensive internet, by which she means things like harassment, offensive speech, and internet trolling. So from the heart of the offensive internet has arisen a robust, flexible, digitally-based protest movement that has, in the last three years, shown its dramatic face to protest censorship and defend access of information in various contexts, from the Church of Scientology, in defense of WikiLeaks, and currently registering their support for the protests in Tunisia. So although Anonymous's existence should not be caused to kind of uncritically celebrate its actions, nor argue that there's no problem with the offensive internet, um, that's not what I'm doing here today, I do think Anonymous provides an opportunity to think through the forms of political affiliation, subjectivity, and tactics it has engendered. And in order to do this, I think it's key to visit its kind of conditions of birth and the way it went from internet trolling into protest movement. So that's what I'm going to go to now. So originally, anonymous was almost entirely associated with internet trolls and trolling. To define trolls, I will turn to their own definition. As it's faithful to the offensiveness (coughs) and spectacle, they do everything possible to bring into being. So the definition comes from Encyclopedia Dramatica, which is like Wikipedia, uh, except it's different because it's filled with satirical, dark, some would say racist and juvenile humor, is a lot less neutral and more mythological and really brimming with jargon, jargon and argot. So now the first part of the definition is actually not so offensive and it's pretty accurate. It says a troll most commonly encountered on the internet is any person who purposely causes controversy in a web community by posting offensive and crude comments or provides advice. They can be helpful sometimes. But now a little bit more dramatic. Trolls are the ultimate antihero. Trolls fuck shit up. They exist to fuck with people. They fuck with people on every level, from their deepest hell's beliefs to the trivial. They do this for many reasons, from boredom to making people think. But most do it for, oops that's not where I want to go to, for the lulls. And I'll get to the lulls in a moment. Um, Even though trolling has existed in some form since people got online to kind of interact, trolling is kind of exploding for both socio-technical and legal reasons. And many of them, which I can't really get into today. But what's different today is that troll lore, history, norms, and terminology are far more extensive, detailed, codified, and accessible to the general public than ever before. Here's some of that material. The lulls being the most famous term. A plural bastardization of laughing out loud, lulls are often cited as both the motivational force and consequence of the act of trolling. The lulls is entertainment, it is pleasure, it is laughter that follows from trolling. It's common to hear a troll say, I did it for the lulls. All right. So one of the things, though, that's interesting is that we need to differentiate between two dominant forms of trolling. Today, one is found among individuals and associations that are anything but anonymous. They want recognition, you can find these people, and I've done some research on them. But in contrast to that form of trolling, anonymous emerge from a different type of trolling, which I call crowdsourced, distributed trolling and hacking. This form of trolling thrives on image boards, and anonymous is associated with one of the most famous, which is called 4chan. For those that do not know, 4chan is home to 44-based forums where participants, all of them anonymous, comment on discussions or images, many of the latter being esoteric, audacious, pornographic, humorous, heavily shot, photoshopped, or all of the above. Um, 4chan is not archived, so when a thread um, when people stop posting to a thread, it vanishes. The posts are also um, posted at such a fast rate and volume that much of what is produced vanishes quite shortly after it's, it's viewed. But obviously not everything vanishes. <coughs> so when there's a long thread, it goes on for days. 4chan is also quite famous for uh, being a meme-generating machine, many of which leave the confines of the board and um, travel elsewhere. And so memes, Somehow, probably you all know this because um, of where I'm talking today. But just in case, um, memes are not simply videos or images that go viral, but they must be under constant uh, modification. So you'll have ceiling cats, who you know is fighting basement cat. Um, another, and I like you know ceiling cat because it's in the ceiling. I'm quite allergic to them. Uh, There's serious cat. Um, and so on, so forth. Cats are not the only uh, memes; just one genre of you know dozens and dozens and dozens of different types of memes. So the board um, that is most famous on 4chan, both for trolling as well as for producing a lot of memes, is called B. And it's hard to read the slide, but it says "I'll never be the same" um, because it's really a reservoir of chaotic randomness where anything goes. On B, very little is morally sacred. Political correctness is not simply nowhere to be seen, but it's actively mocked. There's a lot of dark humor, grotesque images, and um, uh, William had mentioned that podcast. And actually, someone left a hilarious comment, which I think described uh, B quite well. So I'll read it. Well, he didn't s- describe B per se, but me researching trolls and B. He says. As for Miss Coleman, I appreciate the work she's doing, but I would not want to be locked in a room with her. She has gazed deeply into the abyss, by which <laughs> I think she, he means B. Who knows what horrors have taken root in her mind <laughs> and lie sleeping, waiting to unleash unfathomable nightmares for the lulls?"
2: <laughs>
1: that was written by someone called Lobster. Okay, so on B, trolling regularly occurs. Um, And there have been some legendary attacks, including one against Jesse Slaughter, a young girl, as well as many uh, famous acts of animal welfare. For example, in February 2009, someone posted a link to a YouTube video of a kid, Kenny Glenn, who was torturing his cat, Dusty. And basically, uh, 4chan decided that Dusty must be saved and great justice must be delivered. And within three days, Kenny had not only been found, and authorities uh, notified, but he and his family were the target of classic acts of trolling. Um, Countless pizzas had been ordered to his house, delivered to his house, cabs and chartered buses showed up. Uh, The business practices of Kenny's father, a number of which were quite shady, were also plastered all over the internet. So that's, that's trolling, crowdsourced distributed trolling in a nutshell. So in 2007, and on B is where Anonymous, decided to unleash their collective trolling fury against the Church of Scientology, and did so after the church made a vigorous attempt to halt the circulation of a leaked church video featuring Tom Cruise, who was exuberantly praising Scientology. So let's take a look at the video.
3: But if that's what Mr. Cruise has brought to this world, there still remains one more word on the man. Call it Tom Cruise on Tom Cruise Scientologist.
4: I think it's a privilege to call yourself a Scientologist and it's something that you have to earn. And because a Scientologist does, he or she has the ability to create new and better realities and improve conditions. Uh, Being Scientologist, you look at someone and you know absolutely that you can help them so for me it really is ksw and it's just like it's it's something that uh i don't mince words with that you know with, with anything that lrh does but that policy to me has really gone boy and I, 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 every time i went through and i said you know what when i read
1: i'm gonna keep them in the background because i just realized i can't stop the video uh without going to the next one So, we can have in the background, but basically, this was an internal church video that was posted all over the internet, and Scientology was like, take it down, Um, you know, using DMCA and copyright. So, soon after, I hope he's not too distracting, soon after the church threatened websites such as Gawker with legal action if they did not take down the video, Anonymous launched into high pranking and trolling gear. One participant, In the raids described the first wave of trolling in the following offensive terms. The unified bulk of Anonymous collaborated through massive chat rooms to engage in various forms of ultra-coordinated motherfuckery. Between January 15th and 23rd, 2008, Scientology websites were hacked, denial of service attack to remove them from the internet, the Dianetics telephone hotline was completely bombarded with prank calls and the secrets of their religion were blasted all over the internet. I also personally scanned my bare ass and faxed it to them. (laughs) Consistent with previous actions, Anonymous was trolling the Church of Scientology for nothing but the lulls. The ethical course of Anonymous, however, would shift dramatically, although accidentally, after a small group of video editors bearing the name Anonymous released this video.
4: Hello, leaders of Scientology. We are Anonymous. Over the years, we have been watching you. Your campaigns of misinformation, your suppression of dissent, your litigious nature, all of these things have caught eye. With the leakage of your latest propaganda video into mainstream circulation, the extent of your malign influence over those who have come to trust you as leaders has been made clear to us. Anonymous has therefore decided that your organization should be destroyed. For the good of your followers, for the good of mankind and for our own enjoyment, we shall proceed to expel you from the Internet and systematically dismantle the Church of Scientology in its present form. We recognize you as serious opponents, and do not expect our campaign to be completed in a short time frame. However, you will not prevail forever against the angry masses of the body politic. Your choice of methods Your hypocrisy and the general artlessness of your organization have sounded its death now. You have nowhere to hide. Because we are everywhere. You will find no recourse in attack. Because for each of us that falls, ten more will take his place. We are cognizant of the many who may decry our methods as parallel to those of the Church of Scientology. Those who espouse the obvious truth that your organization will use the actions of Anonymous as an example of the persecution of which you have for so long warned your followers. This is acceptable to anonymous. In fact, it is encouraged. We are your SPs. Over time, as we begin to merge our pulse with that of your church, the suppression of your followers will become increasingly difficult to maintain. Believers will become aware that salvation needn't come at the expense of their livelihood. They will become aware that the stress and the frustration that they feel is not due to us, but a source much closer to them. Yes, we are RSPs, but the sum of suppression we could ever muster is eclipsed by that of your own RTC. Knowledge is free. We are anonymous. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us.
1: So, this video obviously circulated really far and wide among anonymous. And what happened was it really spurred a period of heated, heated debate on forums and IRC. So all of a sudden, a lot of people on 4chan were like, oh my gosh, should we go leave the internet and protest the Church of Scientology? And other people are like, no, we're just doing this for the lulls. You know, we don't really have to get involved in a political movement. And so there was this big back and forth. And so what happened? Well, Anonymous decided to leave the internet caves and hit the streets to protest the Church of Scientology. On February 10th, 2008, over 6,000 people protested across North America, Europe, Australia. Uh, I believe five geeks showed up in New Zealand and one in Japan. Um, A set of actions which were actually quite impressive both for their high levels of attendance as well as their kind of aesthetic bravado, which included a performance of their anonymity with the masks. So here is a short clip of the protests. To leave it running uh, so you could keep seeing the imagery, but I can keep going. Um, so it was really remarkable to be at these protests. It's clear that most people participating were like, Yeah, I know nothing about Scientology except for what I learned in that South Park episode. Um, and I was just, you know, following people out to the streets, uh, with a few exceptions of some people who did, but uh, very few. So um, Many did learn eventually about Scientology and the sentiment change among the participants who decided to stay. As one protester told me uh, this summer in Ireland, he said, I came for the lulls, but I stayed for the outrage. So what happened is Anonymous went from kind of unadulterated trolling to kind of accidental protest uh, day to a more traditional protest that continues today. So this is what struck me as I did field work. First of all, the liberal commitments of geeks and hackers became notably apparent and dominant in the conversation. And here I'm just gonna give you a small ethnographic taste of it where people were discussing where anonymous came from. So someone says, I was on 4chan the day it went up, the absolutely first time. Does that make me original Anon? Nope, nope. Anon was established long before 4chan. Alexander Hamilton wrote letters to newspapers advocating for the ratification of the Constitution, signed Anonymous. This makes him an original Anon. And so I'll get back to this, but it is quite common for uh, folks involved in these forms of politics to imagine what they do within a much longer kind of liberal tradition. Second, it is clear that these geeks derived immense pleasure in finding each other in person once they started organizing. This is also not that surprising, given how much time they had poured into 4chan anonymously. So finding each other via both the actions or even on internet relay chat, which is less anonymous, is a way to kind of concretize and get rid of pervasive anonymity. Um, and the protest was literally the end of anonymity among participants, although they still use anonymous tactics to shield themselves from the church. And the ethic of anonymity is very, very strong among protesters, by which it means you really should not be seeking celebrity or status, and it's a way to uh, create kind of egalitarian conditions. Obviously, forms of hierarchy emerge, but they're always in that in that um, conversation with that anonymous ethic. Okay, so. As probably is no surprise, esoteric language, trolling, and extreme pranking also proved somewhat difficult to sustain as it went from internet trolling to a traditional protest movement, especially as Anonymous confronted mounting criticisms leveled by old-time critics of the church. He says, we're not going to associate with you. You're just behaving completely uh, like juvenile kids. So basically, old-time critics asked them to reconsider their tactics. They did so in part through video. We see a lot of this video conversation, video warfare going on, and Anonymous partially did reconsider some of their tactics, dropping some of the most flagrantly trollish, lulzy behavior. But the important word here is partially. On the one hand, the protest movement uses traditional tactics of nonviolent street protests, as well as kind of digital activism, to emphasize the abuses of the church on free speech and human rights grounds. On the other hand, some participants continue to engage in lulzy behavior as part of their arsenal. One of the most famous being Operation Slick Pubes. Um, And so I will leave it to your imagination or a quick Google search to find out what that is, but it involves pubic hair and Vaseline and running into a church, all documented. But the important point is that trolling and the lulls are still part of the protest repertoire. And some protesters claim that they should be rooted in the lulls because that's where their origins lie, it's more fun, and because it's also effective tactic in getting attention, especially in a media-saturated world. Okay, so now I've told you a little bit about the genesis of Anonymous, and I would like to revisit and complicate my core proposition that the protests uh, against the Church of Scientology were accidental. So that's what I've claimed. And I still think in some respects it was accidental, but in other respects, it was not accidental. So at the time that Anonymous left the internet to protest the Church of Scientology, I already had a uh, research project well underway that looked at geek and hacker protests against the Church of Scientology. It was just from a different era, from the 1990s, long time ago. Um, and it was something that bubbled quite strongly and still existed but kind of had receded. I sort of saw it as a historical parenthesis. And so my work examined the historical conditions that fueled the war between geeks, hackers, and Scientology, and also put forth this following kind of cultural thesis: that geeks and hackers enjoy protesting the Church of Scientology because it's such a perfect nemesis—a perfect nemesis because of the way that Scientology inverts and turns upside down many values and commitments that geeks and hackers hold dear. So, if there was such thing as a cultural inversion machine, and you stuck hackers, you'd get something that l- looked like Scientology. Um, before I kind of get into that a little bit more, let me just uh, briefly describe the earlier battles. They're very interesting, because there's some continuities with the current one, because it unfolded on the precursor to the image board, which is Usenet, which was a very popular uh, message board in the 1990s. As the work of Brian Pfaffenberger has shown, Usenet was um, home to a really, really kind of fiery free speech debate among users and system administrators. And I won't get into it, but basically, the free speech hardliners won out. And in this already charged context, someone created the following newsgroup: alt.religion.scientology, uh, a critic of the church. And he did so in order to disseminate the truth about this half-assed religion. And so, what happened was that this uh, news group attracted all sorts of people those supporting the church, ex-members critical of the church. Um, but, you know, relevant to this story, a group of netizens, geeks, First Amendment loyalists, and hackers also joined. So, over time, the commentary grew a little bit more critical of the church and did so through the circulation of what's called advanced technology, which are upper-level texts, um, which the Church of Scientology really guards quite religiously. These include the uh, now famous operating Thetan documents, which include um, the story of Scientology's origin, centered around the alien Xenu. Um, So for those who have not watched the South Park episode, Xenu was the dictator of the Galactic Confederacy. He flew masses of people uh, to planet Earth on jumbo jets. Uh, He put the people in or near volcanoes which were detonated with uh, nuclear weapons, Uh, the remains of unlucky people were thetans that clung mysteriously through cinematic technologies to us humans, causing us all sorts of problems since. Uh, I'm mentioning this story because, you know, there's technology at every point of the way uh, because Scientology truly is a religion of science and technology. So Scientology made a really vigorous attempt to halt the circulation of these documents. They tried to shut down the news group. Um, They spammed the hell out of it. They arrested a bunch of people, um, and they initiated lawsuits that lasted for about a decade and ruined many people's lives, and then they're also purported to have engaged in extra-legal harassment as well. Um, Scientology's attempt at suppressing free speech and cited also some of the first memorable reactions against the church, such as the following somewhat hyperbolic press release from hacker social club, Cult of the Dead Cow. And it reads like this. It is our belief that L. Ron, Old Mother Hubbard, is to be held accountable for the deaths of thousands of innocent men, women, and children in the killing fields of Fun as we suspect that Pol Pot was a Scientologist. In order to preserve our way of life, and keep the Church of Freedom lit for future generations, we feel it is our duty as responsible world citizens to declare war on the so-called Church of Scientology. And so here again, we see hackers declaring war on the Church of Scientology. So from the early to late 1990s was when Scientology became a known entity to geeks and hackers and eventually became enemy number one. And so what's important to highlight is that when geeks kind of found out about Scientology, they not only encountered an organization um, suppressing what they thought of as their right to kind of speak freely, but was an organization that looked very much like their own, except it seemed distorted and inverted. So um, there's many different inversions between Scientology and geeks and hackers, six or seven of them, and I'm not gonna go into all of them. I'm gonna go into two. Technology, which is one of the most important, Um, and then secrecy. So to get at the ways that um, geeks and hackers uh, treat technology, I'm gonna read a blog entry from a hacker who's describing the pleasures of programming. Uh, And it's called Python Reaching a Transcendental Space. So I remember when I found Python back in the 1.52 days. I was an unemployed slacker living in a student co-op. I'd sit in a since-disappeared cafe in Berkeley and write reams of more or less useless code simply for the joy of it. I'd reach some sort of transcendental state fueled by relevant white space, clear syntax, and pints of awfully strong black coffee. In those days, I first felt the pure abstract joy of programming in a powerful way, the ability to conjure these giant structures, manipulate them at will, and have them contain and be contained by one another. And then he talks about Pearl and how it ruined his life at work. (laughs) But not relevant right now. So as everyone here knows, for geeks and hackers, technology tends to be about choice, freedom, about pleasure, the ability to tweak, create, fix, break, and learn, right? Well, among Scientologists, uh, technology is equally valued. We are the only group on Earth that has a workable technology which handles the basic rules of life itself and brings order out of chaos. It really is focused on technology, but they tend to have a very particular way of treating technology. The following I'm gonna show is an edict about the role of technology in Scientology published by the RTC, which was mentioned in the video. The Religion and Technology Center founded in 1983, which is entrusted with their technology and intellectual property. Okay, so keeping Scientology working, KSW, which Tom Cruise also referred to. So, getting the correct technology applied consists of having the correct technology, knowing the technology, knowing it's correct, teaching correctly the correct technology, <laughs> applying the technology, seeing that the technology is correctly applied. <laughs> and I think you get the point. It's extremely, extremely narrow and specific. You couldn't get more uh, different. You know, maybe you could apply that to Apple, but I, even though I don't think that they're so narrow. Okay. So technology is not the only inversion. There are also others concerning access to knowledge, science fiction, uh, and social organization, but one of the most important is secrecy. So many geeks and hackers tend to adore free speech, and for some, transparency and openness, and are offended by the church's ultra-secrecy, and derive pleasure in uncovering the secrets, as I'll get to. The protests against Scientology, past and present, are a great example of what political theorist Jody Dean has identified as the dialectic between secrecy and publicity in liberal democracies. She writes, quote, the suspicion that something has been withheld, that the information needed for judging properly is hidden and needs to be exposed, sustains a system of publicity. Nothing can or should escape this gaze. And of course, we see this with WikiLeaks as well. So a commitment to liberal publicity, she argues, is always accompanied by a desire and especially an enjoyment of unearthing secrets. Part of the pleasure of going after Scientology is reveling in revealing the many, many, many secrets of the religion, for truly it is one of the most secretive. Indeed, many Anans knew so much about the se- secret theological workings of the church. It made me the supposed academic shameful that my subjects knew way more about a religion that was not their own, but their object of scorn. It's important to emphasize that for them to protest the church, it's not necessary to learn every in and out of the church. One does have to have a kind of familiarity and know about the abuses of the church. But many protesters do learn everything they can, I would say even with a certain degree of obsession. For example, in August 2010, I was in Dublin uh, at a protest, and I met a geek protester who knew so much about Scientology that one family member who was at the protest too because her sister's in the church and she can't see her, was like, are you a Scientologist? Um, Because he just knew so so much and he you know would order books about uh, you know secret church books and read them and you know and was a true expert and a lot of Anons are kind of poor over the details of the church so while in many in some respects Anonymous versus the Church of Scientology emerged somewhat by accident and was at first sociologically unconnected to the earlier protest movement, there is a consistent cultural logic at play. Taken together, these protests raise a question for those interested in political engagement. Why are people attracted to protest some abuses over others? For if there are many tragedies in the world, for example, the war in Iraq, the genocide in Darfur, why do a group of people feel compelled to protest this set of injustices and not others? Um, Scientology, I think, is experienced quite collectively, although somewhat unconsciously, as offensive to many geeks, as matter out of place, to use a quote from Mary Douglas on her work on purity and pollution. For with Scientology, we not only have a religion, but one that makes strong and persistent claims about science and technology, and this flies in the face of the stark line that we as a society tend to draw between science and religion, a line that runs much, much, much deeper, I have found, among the technologists that protest Scientology. This helps to explain the vigor and attraction to protest the church, all the while we must take seriously the contextual factors that change the makeup of these protests. So by now, many are probably wondering, what do I really mean by geek and hacker anyway? And isn't my thesis that hackers and geeks enjoy protesting Scientology for being a perfect nemesis, just too tidy and simplistic? That is, it doesn't capture the reality that many geeks and hackers don't protest the church of Scientology. So by way of conclusion, let me start with a second issue that not all geeks and hackers protest the church, which is absolutely correct, for allow me to get to the first one and define hacker and a little bit with geek, I find that much harder to define, with a bit more precision. And then conclude with some general thoughts about the significance of anonymous. While many hackers and geeks abide by politics of information freedom, the ways in which this is incarnated varies across time and place. Are you guys all reading, learning about Scientology? (laughs) Um, In contrast to the idea of the hacker ethic, which states that hackers kind of abide by a set of clearly formulated commitments such as information freedom, I prefer to think of hacker ethical action in terms of genres and genealogies. They're connected but unconnected. Many hacker genres, in the most general sense, are oriented towards what we might call information freedom but information freedom is sufficiently wide in scope and vague so that it must be concretized and particularized, which hackers do in multiple ways. So many hackers live out their free speech commitments via software in specific participating in what everyone here knows is the free and open source software movement whose roots are here at MIT, thanks to the actions of Richard Stallman. A lot of these hackers have now come to see um, source code as a form of speech Um, And I've done a lot of work in this arena. Other hackers are far more transgressive in their pursuits. They derive pleasure in seeking out and exposing forbidden and fruit. And in the process, mock power via spectacle. Indeed, there's a rich, rich trajectory from the phone freaks who used to explore the phone system to underground hackers to trolls, this is a very famous internet hacker and troll weave, um, where spectacle and transgression dominates. Other hackers are involved in anti-capitalist endeavors whose collective names such as Rise Up and May 1st broadcast their left-leaning sensibilities. They tend to be a minority in North America and are more robust in Spain and Italy with uh, anarchist traditions. So we might be able to define hackers in a general sense as skilled programmers and system administrators who identify as such and who move in the types of events and institutions like the Computer Chaos Club, free software projects, or information security groups by which I can empirically locate hacking. But what I want to emphasize is that even if hackers who may be united by an obsession and passion for computers and thus are quite easy to identify in the field, um, they display a quite diverse real politic. Within the sea of diversity, some choose to participate in a number of political domains Others, just in one. Thus, the protests against the Church of Scientology are consistent with the commitments of many geeks and hackers, yet don't exhaust all hacker and geek possibilities. Second, and this is key to any understanding of hacker politics, is that there's significant discord and disagreement among hackers as to what even counts as hacking, what constitutes freedom of information, and the legitimate means by which to enact sharing and access. Hackers are, in fact, extremely sectarian. For example, the debate about the ethics of Anonymous and the denial of service attacks has been ferocious among hackers. Take for example the comment about Anonymous by uh, a famous Dutch hacker, his first name is Rop, I'm going to butcher his last name, I could let you know afterwards, who just delivered the keynote address at one of the most famous hacker gatherings, the Winter Computer Chaos Club Congress in Berlin. And This is what he said, this whole Anonymous thing is getting so on my nerves, people ask me." Anonymous, that is the hackers striking back, right? This is a mental maturity issue. Our community has generally succeeded in giving black belts in computer security karate only to people that have proven a certain level of mental maturity. Yes, some of us could probably do some real damage to PayPal and MasterCard, but then we also understand that no good comes from that. And then he went on to urge Anonymous to seek out the mature hackers at the CCC. So what's interesting about this um, statement is that he does at least grant that some involved in Anonymous are hackers. Lame hackers, immature hackers, but hackers. But is Anonymous just hackers? So while it's definitely the case that my experience has been that it does include hackers in its ranks, um, as Anonymous insists themselves, it is not only composed of hackers. It's more diverse than that. And yet, contrary to their own rhetoric, which they say we're open to all, It does not mean that Anonymous is open to all. There are forms of tacit and explicit knowledge, skills, sympathies, and know-how that lead some people and not others to engage in Anonymous, which is why I like to describe it as a kind of geeky-based movement. And by geeky, I mean a bulk of the participants tend to have significant digital media literacy such as video editing, design skills, and enough technical know-how to be able to use internet relay chat, collaborative tools like PiratePad, and have the ideological sympathies, such as commitments to things like freedom of information, that make Anonymous politically attracted to them. And obviously, geeks is a very wide category, so it doesn't uh, encompass all the geeks that would be kind of attracted to Anonymous. So to conclude, born from the offensive internet, Anonymous went from trolling to narrow protest movement to one that has now emerged in more general registers to protest internet censorship. And freedom of information, and fight for freedom of information, attracting many geeks and hankers in its ranks. Much, though not all, of its politics are tactical and short term. They're also quite spectacular. Spectacle, as some theorists such as Stephen Duncombe have argued, can be an effective way to garner media attention for being able to dramatize a set of events. Of course, spectacle has its limits as well, similar to what Susan Moeller has identified as compassion fatigue. From news reporting on humanitarian crises, spectacle grows weary and loses its luster. It's hard to sustain over time. But some faces of Anonymous have shown that it's not only bound to tactical expression and spectacle. The protests against the Church of Scientology are in many respects quite traditional. They hold monthly protests in cities across Europe and the United States and Canada. And they have been effective in a number of ways. It's definitely the case that critics of the church journalists, academics were much uh, less willing to go public until anonymous, and people have become able to be public thanks to anonymous, kind of ironically. Um, although it's too early to tell whether it'll be successful, Operation Leakspin, whose aim is to spread and comment on the leaked cables um, using crowdsourced techniques is also an attempt to be less tactical and more long-term and strategic. While there are plenty of geek and hacker cultural rallying points on the internet for learning about and discussing the latest affront to the liberal principles they hold dear, there aren't as many opportunities to take action against those at the drop of a hat. Sites like Slashdot that have been around for a long time publish the latest woes that befall the community, but after learning the information, the possibilities for actions are limited, especially when the community is partially translocal. You can comment on the story, maybe vote it up, but beyond that, the most likely action is to read the next post. Organizations like the Electronic Frontier Foundation exist to try and turn things into action, and in many ways, they play a very important role and have an impressive numbers of successes. They try very hard to activate people when issues are raised, but if you act, you act alone, perhaps writing a letter to your senator, and while you may support that, What they are doing, it's a very traditional structured type of response. And you can't claim that you are the EFF. It is significant to know how anonymous, since the winter of 2008, due to its being very non-traditional mechanisms of actions, acts as a political gateway for a great mass of geeks to take action. Its organizational borders, while not open to all, are porous. It provides low barrier, flexible, minimal commitment, discrete micro protest possibilities that aren't otherwise there in a way that allow individuals to be part of something greater. You don't have to fill out a form with your personal information. You aren't being asked to send money. You don't even have to give your name. But you do feel like you're actually part of something larger and are at least ensured some lulls or lulls. The decision to engage in political action has to happen somehow via concrete path of action, a set of events, or influences. Anonymous is precisely that path for many geeks. So that's the end of the talk.
5: So um, time, for, time for discussion. Questions. Yeah. Dylan, one thing that came to mind, you know, is that Scientology um, as a target is something that seems to be imminently hackable. Yeah. It's a it's a complex system that's codified in this way. You can get documents on it, which are secret. Uh, you can figure out how it works. And in fact, you could say the same thing for the U.S. diplomatic apparatus, perhaps. Right. Um, i wonder if there's a if if there's some explanatory power to, to that idea in and, and what types of things you know, that hackers might like to deal with. And that also might explain why uh, the war in Darfur or you know, climate change, which isn't exactly you know, like that,
1: right.
5: um, is not something that would be as easily taken on.
1: No, I think that's a really perceptive and great point. Um, that all these different domains, first of all, they're extremely logical. Right, and you see that with Scientology, extremely, extremely consistent, and it's something that you can, you know, fully wrap your head around. Um, it's it's so tangible at some level, um, and then be able to uh, use the data to kind of like spread it out. Whereas with other forms of, of politics, it's just so. Um, what's the word? Invisible. There's nothing locatable, and so I think that's that's a great point. You see that with free software as well, where uh, the intellectual property system was hackable at some level, and that's what Richard Stallman did, and initiated that process. And uh, I think you stated it really well because one of the things I'm interested in is how your kind of embodied experiences. Make you more willing to kind of engage and take pleasure and be more effective in some politics than others. And that's exactly what you put your finger in.
5: Yeah, I wanted to follow up on that. I mean, that was what struck me too is that. It's interesting case, Church of Scientology, but in some ways it's a very easy target, yeah. right? I mean, it's a cult, it's a joke, it's Tom <coughs> Cruise, you know, and, and so right, you hear about Zenu, and you're just like, that's so ridiculous, and and so in that sense, it, it's easy, like it, you know, everybody can go after it, and and WikiLeaks then is a kind of interesting stepping stone, stepping stone, it seems to me, because then it, it is into this realm of politics, and the government's arguing people will get killed, and so you start to have to make decisions. I, I suppose, about where where information is, should be free and where, where free information is actually killing people, and, and that's the argument people are making. I, I haven't seen it hasn't seemed to happen yet, so maybe it's not as bad as people say. But the, the the blindness is there, too, it seems to me. Like, the the big one is, well, what about corporations? You know, What about the finance industry? I mean, where that's all about a secrecy of hide the money. You know, who's, who gets, where's the money come from? Where's it going? that's the giant secrecy that's out there, and yet that's not a part of the information secrecy thing yet, it seems to me. Um, And wouldn't that be interesting? And the fact that it's not, uh, to me, then says, oh, this isn't really about information as information. It's also tied up with popular culture, with the cult orientation that we know it from South Park. I mean, that that, in fact, turns out to be very important and maybe even more important than information freedom, you know? No. Uh, an idea
1: right right no that's a um also a really good point especially because you know um someone once asked me like you know isn't scientology quite lulzy you right. know what i mean right. and, exactly. and so all it these people are into out. the lulls, into the, creating what are just kind of unbelievable configurations and there is scientology with the most unbelievable configurations whereas as you know with uh businesses there's a lot of secrecy there's a lot that happens, which is really messed up, but doesn't have quite that science fiction quality to it. Whereas the, the cables did a little bit at times, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's part of the attraction. Um, you know, with WikiLeaks, there was a little bit, it seemed, of anticipation about this uh, Bank of America
2: mm-hmm.
1: cable, which still hasn't come out, right? <laughs> I was under a rock the last few days. So, um, and I was waiting for that precisely, I think, for the reasons you were talking about, is what would happen when a big secret bomb was released in the corporate world. Um, geeks and hackers have a critical but not anti-corporate stance. They may be critical of their treatment of intellectual property or some other things, but generally have, generally are, are OK with the market in corporations, right? right that's that information yeah.
3: somehow, right.
1: So I wanted to see what a big info bomb on B of A would do precisely for the reasons that you pointed to. So we'll, we'll wait and see for that. There's.
2: Uh, I'm interested in the uh, performative part of all this. I mean, you mentioned then when Anonymous went to the streets, for some people, it was kind of intimidating. Like, what? You mean that we actually have to go out and protest in the streets? But how is that troll attitude different from Flash mobs, which was the kind of fashionable performance a few uh, years before where people would, you know, agree in the you know, through forums or whatever to show up, you know, dressed as uh Agent Smith and right. cross the street and something like that.
1: So I think the different. I mean, there's a lot of similarities, right? Um, you know, spectacle, drama, surprise, that sort of thing. But what I find so fascinating, especially about the initial protest, is flash mobs, for the most part, have to be, like, organized. Either you have to agree to it or you're led into it Um, Because something, like like show up with a panda bear mask in Union Square for pandemonium. You know, I did that once and I was like, oh my god, there's all these pandas. Um, (laughs) But my culture is not being a panda bear. Whereas I do see a lot of these participants who spend a lot of time on 4chan and being geeks and so on and so forth, take their kind of cultural repertoire that's what led them to the protest, and then that's what they performed. They didn't need a kind of organizer. It was a kind of manifestation of cultural commitments under the right set of circumstances. So that's a little bit of the difference, even though they are quite similar in, in their tactics, too. Yeah, do
2: you think that the
1: flash maybe set the precedent for the anomalous region? That's a good question. I mean, I, one, one way to look at it would be to go back to some of the logs to see when people were first starting to decide to go to the streets. Because it was really contentious, first of all. They're like, this is for the lulls. We are not going to protest the church seriously. And see whether they're like, hey, yeah, but when you show up in a flash mob or whatever, it's really effective. So that that would be really interesting. And of course, it is in the air. And just very interestingly, they did get the uh, vampire flash mob to show up recently in front of the Church of Scientology, which was There was like 5,000 vampires. It was great. (laughs) I think there's a question back there. So
2: I want to follow up on Ian's point and something you just said about the commitments of hackers. One, could you tell me what you mean by the word liberal? You used it repeatedly. And you also indicated that uh, among the hackers, there's some sort of implicit notion of what constitutes abuse or not abuse. Or, or that there is some moral differentiation going on, so I wanted to know where the grounds of that derive from, okay. and which relates to this the issue that that Ian raised of what constitutes information. So, what meaning of liberal are you using?
1: So, by liberalism, it's you know one of these things like capitalism, which is extremely hard to define, but um, it's sort of a set of commitments to individualism, a fear of uh, concentrated power, and commitments to civil liberties such as uh, free speech and privacy. And that one of the things about my work is that I look at these commitments not only as they're culturally incarnated, so for example, a lot of hackers have come to see source code as a form of First Amendment speech, but how it brings into tension or visibility tensions in liberalism.
2: So, so- Here at MIT, for example, lots of the undergraduates, I was going to say, are libertarians. Mm -hmm. In the parlance of classical political theory, that's not liberal. That's far more than liberal, because any form of organization is illegitimate. So are your hackers liberals in the classic sense of the necessity for collective organization, but with limits? or are they libertarians, Ayn Rand,
1: Fountainhead? They are more, well, it depends on which hackers. There's, the, uh, they exist on the spectrum from mutual aid anarchists to libertarian. I would say the bulk of free software developers who are part of endeavors like Debian, Gnome, are far more liberal in the sense that they uh, recognize mutual aid collaboration and in institutions as part and parcel of what they do all the while being very committed to individualism um, and free speech. And uh, finally, my experience has been that through, I've done something like 50 life interviews with a lot of free software developers, many had a very libertarian moment uh, in their youth that was reined in. Not all of them ever got out of the libertarianism, but a lot of them did.
2: So what are the grounds for assessing good and bad action when they're making judgments outside of this homology that's been identified you know, in something which is a codified system like Scientology, which is what the point right. I take Ian's comment to
1: make. So um, I think, again, this is where my use of hacker genres and genealogies helps because the different genres have ethical orientations that don't explain all behavior, but do have good tendencies. So for example, the, the transgressive genre, it is OK to do things like uh, you know, mock power, break into systems, sorts of things that other hackers would not absolutely do. right? And why I like the genre is it points to, and I could point to manifestos, key documents, that then become moral maps for these hackers to help them guide their action. Um, so that gives you a little bit of sense of the fact that they do, but it does different, differ. Not community to community, I don't like that term. That's why I, I like the term genre, because it kind of designates that there's something coherent, um, but there's multiple ones as well. Um, so for free software, it's things like the free software definition. Um, it also has to do with key events, After people were arrested under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, that helps them kind of ground their their moral action. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Alex? I was wondering if
3: you could speak a little bit about your role as an anthropologist in all this, Um, specifically because, kind of bridging from that question, you're really dealing with things that are, I guess, generally seen as good and many things that are generally seen as bad. And as an anthropologist, it seems like there's a a lot of literature in the field about personal bias and your role as a participant in observation and things like that. So if you could
1: just explain a bit. That's a great question. Maybe I'll answer it a little bit by getting back to the liberalism as well as then getting to the trolls. So when I found out that hackers were quite liberal and libertarian both, I just didn't want my project to be about liberalism at some level, and I got like, a little bit upset. And, um, but my role, I felt, wasn't to criticize them for that. It was to understand it, understand where it came from, and understand its effects at some level. And, uh, and it's true, however, that I am sympathetic clearly with free and open source software. And so I can't hide that. So I try to balance between a kind of sympathy all the while also trying to retrench from like, massive criticism of the hacker world, which is a common motif, too, in some of the literature. All the while getting away from overblown statements about the forms of democracy free software can engender. I think it's politics have been more narrow than generally represented. Uh, internet trolls, which I've worked on in part because that Weave guy that I showed an image of, he called me mm-hmm. and was like... I am the master of spectacle, and I hear you study spectacle, so start studying me. I was in the room the day that the lulls was uttered, and like I almost dropped my phone. And um, It's been <laughs> extremely up and down psychologically and emotionally for me to work on him. Um, because I've become sympathetic with him as a person, and yet some of the kind of acts of trolling that he and his cohort engender, I'm just aghast by. And I I really haven't come to a good conclusion as to what my reaction or role should be, except to keep on going, in part because I think um, a lot of people just kind of scratch a little bit at the surface, which is really important. And you can make a lot of statements about things like Encyclopedia Dramatica. But delving deeper, I think, is also really important to understand this world as well. And so I'm just going to keep going all the while alternating between, you know, total despair at times. I've really, really felt very bad and crying at home about these trolls, to being extremely excited about, you know, uh, being able to research a more kind of seedy underground or something.
2: Yeah, is there a risk involved in the sense of kind of well construction of tweeting the revolution? Because if traditionally activism couple of things are required, putting your body at risk, actually being someplace, and also risking changing a culture or society or an institution. Is there any, do you see risk here? And I guess what I would ask uh, in addition to that is, do you see a trend? Do you see Anonymous and the legions of 4chan and other people getting up and going to do something?
1: Okay, that's, I mean, I can't answer, and I wish I could answer in a very global sense because I've only followed New York Anonymous, but there has absolutely been uh, expansion of their politics and repertoire. Everything from them protesting uh, the Westboro Church when they came to New York, which actually shows that they're not free speech extremists if they're protesting the Westboro Church, to all going together to um, the rally against fear, for fear, (laughs) um, Jon Stewart. Rally. And so, yeah, keep your alive, right? <laughs> and so, there is a way in which I do feel like for this group that I have kind of looked at over time, there has been, it was a gateway, and it is a gateway to kind of a larger politics. And when it comes to protesting Scientology, I actually do think that there is a risk. I mean, I was extremely secretive about my work um, because there was reason to believe that I would get harassed. And so, granted, yes, they were wearing masks, but they aren't that secret. Someone has to um, apply for a, a permit and so on and so forth, right? Now, when it comes to the denial of service attacks um, and these sorts of things, I think on the one hand, it's, you know, some people have been like, oh, they're cowards, they're not showing their face. On the other hand, um, you're super breaking the law. and you can be found. There are forensics to find people. And there is an awareness of that. So I do think that there is a risk. I still haven't come you know, hard as to whether it's juvenile or not. But there is a little bit more of a risk. And my sense is that a good portion of people involved in Anonymous um, will never be involved in politics again. But it, for you know, a good chunk, it is a kind of gateway, in part because you're like, wow, we are all over the news, we're making an impact, Um, I'm gonna continue in on this, right? But it does allow for participation for people who just wanna do it for the lulls or because they like to engage in kind of juvenile denial of service attacks. Um, You
2: several times said that Anand decided this and Anand decided that, and I was wondering for such a decentralized don't even know if you can call it organization or group or whatever. How are decisions actually being made?
1: OK. That's a really good question. Um, so it's different for the different actions taken. So for internet relay chat, it's not quite as, there, there are people who have more power than others. And they are called channel operators who um, have started the IRC channels and rooms and are kind of Trusted members among a small group, and are sort of making the decisions. Let's attack this website and not the other. What happens is that when, you know, three thousand people join a channel and they start advocating for something, it can change the course of things. So it's definitely the case with um, the denial of service attack. There's like chaos within a small kind of group of trusted members who are trying to bring order to that. Now, when it comes to other things, such as the writing of the manifesto that we saw on PiratePad, that's literally, like, I could have just started writing if I wanted to, uh, right then and there, and, and made an argument, and people agree or disagree. And so there, I saw it as being you know very quite, quite flexible. Over time, if there is a kind of long-term strategic action, so not tactical, organizers form. Um, and so someone who created, a news site called Anon Anon News, there's a couple people who really maintain that and do the work. Um, And so they're kind of informal leaders, and yet there is a kind of resistance to codify anything very explicitly, and they want to remain flexible to kind of people's input as well. Natasha? Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, you mentioned it would be interesting to go back to the archive, but you also told us that a lot of these uh, threads and conversations quickly disappear. So right. I'm just deeply curious to know, do you archive the abyss?? Right. Then-
1: <laughs> so um, 4chan, there's a Firefox extension where you can take like snapshots of threads if you want. And I actually don't do so much work on 4chan because I just feel like vomiting afterwards, mm-hmm. seriously. Thankfully, there's a lot of uh, other people doing uh, research on 4chan, including Alex. And we've a lot of us share data and stuff. Um, and, and that's really necessary, like having multiple eyes on this stuff because you can lose it. I'll never forget this one time where someone is like, they're trying to troll you on 4chan. Here's the thread. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank god I wasn't there. Um, internet relay chat's a bit uh, tougher, actually. I don't log everything because it just would be like insane amount of data, but whenever there's important stuff happening, I try to be there and on multiple channels and then keep all that stuff. But there's, for example, on current anonymous server, something like 25 channels, you know, some with 200 people, some with two, some with 15. And I think that you know we do need to think through forms of uh, harvesting this data and um, going through it in a way that's not like the individual anthropologist. It's just it's not effective. And yet, long-term study of it is really helpful because, for example, people would send me things, because I'm kind of known to study this, so people would be like, here's the pirate pad, here's the pirate pad, come to this place, get invited to this channel. And that only comes through long-term sort of trust built um, over time. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: so at Rutherford, one of the biggest questions was this kind of uh, issue of making what used to be kind of niche online more mainstream, especially through like popularized channels like television and stuff like that. Um, so I thought one of the interesting things that you mentioned was the issue of opening up to become an actual political movement uh, with the church. So as you uh, 4chan and Anonymous become more popular and more televised and broadcast. Um, how do you think that's affecting the culture or even your own work on it? Because there are so like some rules of the internet that say do not talk about 4chan.
1: Right, right, right. So, one thing is uh, I don't. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I think Anonymous over time is no longer associated with just 4chan. Which is, which is good, you know, um, although its roots are still like to understand Anonymous in configuration, you have to understand 4chan, right? Um, I actually think the two problems is not so much that the mainstream jumps on, um, which may or may not be happening. Um, and eventually I would like to do a little bit more kind of research on that, like folks who are not geeky who decided to still join the ranks of Anonymous. But there is limits to the form of collection action it enacts, because with proliferation, then you just can't be strategic in getting anything done. And even with WikiLeaks, there were like, how many operations? Paper Storm, Leak Spin, like 10 others. And that got in, a way, in the way for them being effective. They're effective because they have a huge army, but, and because anyone could call them into being and yet at the same time the fragmentation works against how effective they can be but can you control that sort of phenomenon i'm not sure you can you know actually someone did try to a website called like truth is revolutionary which was going to be a portal for all anonymous and help coordinate cuz i think they saw the problem but uh, in some ways it didn't get respect because it was a central node right so it may be have a limited effect, um, but still be powerful in the other ways I kind of talked about.
3: Uh, so, in the free software movement, you have seen sort of the convocation of values with the free software definition, and the open source definition. Have you seen sort of a corresponding um, sort of institutional processes aimed at sort of uh, um, sort of bringing people into organizations like that? They do. You maintain a process. Um, and sort of, in Anonymous, there's sort of these talk about the sort of resistance to codification, um, although there has been the manifesto, and do you think that organizations like Anonymous do sort of inculcate values in the members, or is it just that people who already have these values are sort of coming together and then acting? Is this sort of this sort of ethicalization process? <laughs> <that you talk laughs> right,
1: about? right. Yeah, it's no Debian. <laughs> no, um, that's a really good question, that um, there is a lot of tacit knowledge or your ability to know crazy memes and that kind of jargon and all that kind of esoteric stuff that helps to designate you an in-member of the group, right? Um, And people differentiate between old fags and new fags that way, right? Um, That said, there is a way in which there are, again, geeky types who are not involved in 4chan or Anonymous who do find their way to Anonymous and must be inculcated in the way of, we're anti-celebrity, we're anti-getting recognition, and conversations on IRC and forums really remind people of that. And similar to some of my work on Debian, uh, where when it looks like the cabal is exercising too much power and people go crazy, the same thing happens with Anonymous. So for example, the video editors, who really are quite good, this was just with the Church of Scientology, not the recent movement, looked like they were getting to be known as Anonymous because they were producing these very famous videos. Oh my gosh, they were railed against. And in fact, they had to kind of be like, all right, we're out of here, we're out of here. And so in that sense, some of the ethical processes I've mentioned are similar. Just not the formal ones. <clears throat> Actual, um, question. How many people are there? Yeah, how big is it? So um, the Church of Scientology protests with Anonymous. Uh, cities have between, you know, five and thirty kind of active members in Hamburg, in London, in Dublin, in New York, in Boston, San Francisco. Um, so it's pretty small, but pretty tight and committed, you know. Every month they're there protesting, they have their forums, they have their actions. Um, with the actions in support of WikiLeaks, at the height there were like 6,000, 7,000 people on IRC channels, but the number quickly dwindled to something like 500, 600. But not everyone who's participating in Anonymous is on IRC channels either. They're doing other things as well. So that gives you a little bit of a sense, but it is, it's one of these things that's empirically hard to get, get the number. And that adds to the kind of mystery and power of Anonymous, that you can't locate it in the ways that you can locate other organizations. Okay, well, thanks okay. very much. you.